Even the ones who like him and like his restaurants, they wince perceptibly, exasperated perhaps by the unprecedented and seemingly never-ending torrent of praise for the 32-year-old chef and restaurateur, the all-too-quick Michelin stars, the awards, Food and Wine's Best New Chef, GQ's Chef of the Year, Bon Appetit's Chef of the Year, the three James Beard Awards. This sounds like it could be Carmi, but this is Anthony Bourdain talking about David Chang when he was this up-and-coming chef. I think this is over a decade since this was written in Medium Raw. David Chang now has his Momofuku empire. And he wrote a book called Eat a Peach. I think this is one of the best books to read if you're a fan of The Bear. And I'm just going to share some highlights from the book and talk about The Bear here. So I have three sections here. So starting out, opening, and then getting those stars. So starting out as a chef, this book has a chapter called 33 Rules for Becoming a Chef. It's a fun chapter. It's towards the end of the book, but I would check the book out just for that section. A lot of it also applies to the world beyond cooking, beyond restaurants. I picked a few rules here, a couple rules here. So number four, see as much of the world as human as possible. Go on vacation with your parents, stuff your belongings into a duffel bag and hit the road yourself. If you're a college student, study abroad. If you're already a cook, here's the good news. You can cook anywhere. Do not let the language barrier be an excuse. Uh, further on, he says, you need to be surrounded by people and understand why cuisine happens the way it does. Eat everything you can. Take it all in, not just the food, but all the beauty, heartache, wealth, poverty, struggle, racism, history, and art you can find. It's going to help you empathize with people, which is the most powerful tool at a chef's disposal. In season two, we see a few of the cooks from the restaurant sent out into the world. A couple go to school, one goes to a different country, and then we do see Carmi and Sydney kind of like stay in the same place instead of seeing the world. They've kind of seen the culinary world and now they need to do their work. But this is one of those rules that I think applies really well beyond just cooking to see the world if you, as much as you can, even if it is that oh, you can't do international travel. At all times, there's probably things within uh, the town that you live in or within a short drive that you can see and that you can learn from. Okay, another rule here. Rule number 14, when you're in the weeds, stop. So there's a few different episodes. Something that the bear does really well is stress. Just showing what it's like to be in a chaotic kitchen and yeah, just build up that stress. They're even able to do it. It's okay, maybe I, I haven't worked like in uh you know a restaurant kitchen I i've worked in like a fast food kitchen which is not chaotic really at all that's what great franchises do is remove the chaos from different things but david chang says on the bill simmons podcast that something that the bear really captured was this idea the feeling of being in the weeds so he says here i'm not a beach person but from what i understand if you're ever swimming in the ocean and you find yourself being pulled out to see by a riptide, you're supposed to swim parallel to the shore. Fighting the tide will only tire you out and expedite your death by drowning. The same applies when you're in the kitchen and the orders are piling up and you're running out of mise en place and you can feel a control slipping out of your hands, a situation commonly known as being in the weeds. In one of the episodes we see, they run out of forks. <laughs> or is it forks or spoons? They run out of utensil and you just think that wouldn't happen, but... David Chang on that same Bill Simmons podcast episode, he says, 
Yeah, stuff like that. Just it just happens. There's so much for a high end restaurant. There's so much. They use so many plates, so many utensils that things just happen. And especially on opening night, that's kind of what the opening night is for: is to figure out exactly like what are the small things that we're missing. We can probably cover the big things, but some of the small things. And going back to this rule number fourteen. So that's what being in the weeds is. And to stop, he further writes. Your survival instinct tells you to work faster, harder, messier. It may take you years to come to this realization on your own, but when you're in the weeds, the only thing you can do to save yourself is to stop. Take a step back, breathe, assess, organize your thoughts and your station, then calmly get back into it. It will go against all your default settings, but it is the only way to survive. Again, this is one of those rules that seems to apply well beyond just the kitchen, that sometimes it can feel like you're doing some work, things are coming in, chat messages, emails, and then you start to feel like you're in the weeds, you don't have enough time to do everything. That's where instinct can make it feel like, oh, you need to double down and just like focus as much as possible. But sometimes it can really be good to realize you're in the weeds, stop, take a few minutes. It doesn't have to be the whole thing of like, you don't need to take a full nap that's great if you have the time to do that. But if you feel like you're in the weeds, all it can take is maybe like three to five minutes, take that step back, look at everything, reprioritize, figure out like, okay, some of these things probably matter more than others. What can you do? Which ones can you take care of really quickly so that it can be put back on the back burner? Then get back to the important thing so you can refocus on whatever it is that is most urgent and important. Okay, so then he talks about in this book, Eat a Peach, David Chang talks about getting started. Just when he was getting started as a chef, he was a cook in different kitchens. And then he talks about realizing that he was kind of, uh, and you see this with some of the characters, especially in season two, that they are used to working in the sandwich shop. Now they have to improve their skills and they're going to bring in other trained chefs. Yeah, trained chefs. So yeah, they just, have this lack of talent, they need to fill that gap. And David Chang talks about this when he was, I think it says he was at Craft. And this is not from uh, this rules chapter, but this is earlier on, but something similar just about practice. He says, I was always behind, but I relished the opportunity that the kitchen offered to take another swing with each new day. In a kitchen environment, as opposed to the golf course, I found a reserve of sheer, stubborn willpower to make up for what I lacked in talent. Here in front of my cutting board, I could see slow but definitive results. It gave me purpose. I would park myself on the couch at home after my shifts, watching recorded PBS cooking shows while practicing my technique. For hours, I'd just sit and tourney potatoes, carrots, and turnips. I don't remember doing anything else for that whole period of my life other than cooking and studying cooking. That's the end of the highlight. And yeah, I always, I like this picture of or any uh, sort of like romantic picture of someone practicing really hard that's always inspiring so just to picture him locking himself to this cutting board to a table with this cutting board and then just cutting and cutting and cutting and at the same time just watching cooking shows that sort of obsession and sometimes it doesn't like translate that well to real life because that can be kind of like an unhealthy it it can be an unhealthy way to live in in some cases, but if you do it right, just putting those raw hours in uh, can really help to increase that skill level 
quickly. And the reason he mentions like this as opposed to the golf course line, David Chang was a competitive golfer growing up as a child and then walked away from it. I think it was maybe in high school or in, in college. But yeah, he was like, I don't know about prodigy, but a very, very good golfer for his age. And then, yeah, just kind of burnt out on it and was able to kind of like challenge or channel that obsession towards something else. And in this case, cooking. So, okay. So next, a few quotes on opening in season two of the bear. The main clock is this 12 week timer over the season that they need to open quickly. They need to, yeah, from like kind of start to finish, they need to put this restaurant together and then, and open it. Just a quick aside on just the storytelling thing that there's this book by, uh, I think it's Chuck Palahniuk, and he talks about how important clocks are to storytelling, that clocks and guns, the gun is the, yeah, the clock is the thing that you know, it's the timer you know, the is continuing on. So it's the iceberg in Titanic. You know that the Titanic's going to hit the iceberg. At some point, it's this countdown. It's going to happen. It's not necessarily random. And then the other type of timer is the random thing. So the gun, it's a random thing that can happen. You know it's going to happen. You don't know when. The example in season two is this broken refrigerator door handle. Anyways, okay, so back to this. There's this chapter in this book, Eat a Peach, where David Chang is just talking about opening and inspections. And I think this relates really well to season two of The Bear because they're going through all these inspections. There's the scene where they have to finish that inspection. And David Chang had something similar where it says here, the new noodle bar was going to be delayed and the DOH and DEP, Department of Environmental Protection, were now really on our case. We finally got cited for a critical violation because of the insufficient hot water. And if they did the inspection again, they would, and failed it, then they would be put out of business until it was fixed. So here, <laughs> David Chegg has uh, this, e- it, a cool thing in the book is there's a few different emails. So he has just like the emails that he was sending at the time. So you could see like different things as they were happening. And he emails the staff. He says, the most important thing for noodle bar inspection is that we have hot water running through the sinks upstairs. We need to conserve all hot water until we get inspected. Please, no hot water usage by cooks or prep cooks. The water tanks need to be full so we have hot water. Please tell dishwashers not to spray dishes with hot water. If we get busted, we will be shut down. And then he closes it. Please help me from offing myself. And I think this kind of captures everything and these kind of similarities as hot young chefs, David Chang and then Carmi, that there's just this rage kind of going through them that and perfection in a way. So further, he writes about this. He says, the safe play would have been to rely on the cooks to conserve hot water, but I wanted the inspector to turn on a faucet and witness a deluge like he'd never seen in his life. I had a hunch about which sink he would test. So I told Sweet to hire a welder to direct all the hot water to that faucet. Then I left. And he, it's one of those, he like did the Hail Mary, closed his eyes, went to Atlantic City, and then just kind of waited for the call to see if they had passed it. And then he says, I haven't even, I hadn't even made it to New Jersey when I got a call from Tosi. This is, of course, the creator of Milk Bar, great cookies, great pie. And he, he asks, how did it go? She says, it was like Old Faithful. And 
that's just, I thought, a great example of like the bear capturing something like an inspection, the stress of an inspection that seems to be reflected also in Eat a Peach with David Chang. So seeing just the reality of like going back to like this 33 rules, one of the rules is this idea that being a chef is only sort of about cooking, especially if you're going to be opening a place that there's just way more to it than just the food. You see like Sydney's working on the menu, Sydney and Carmi are working on the menu, but there's all this other stuff that goes into opening. And I think this goes like applies to creative work as well, that like the creative part, drawing, whatever it is, is part of it. But if you're going to say like go full time on it, you always hear that there's so much other stuff like that goes on around that, that especially as things grow, you hear from like these very large creators and they have staff to eventually like they learn to delegate, become managers to do all the legal finance, that sort of thing so that they can try to find some time basically like to work on their menu, to work on their food, their version of that. All right. So the last part of this, there's a great, I think it's in, I don't, I forget if it's season one or season two, but it is, it must be season, season two where Sydney asks, asks Carmi what it's like to get the three Michelin stars, yeah, to finally get those three stars, what that feels like. And then in David Chang's book, he has, he talks about how he feels about getting, he doesn't have a three Michelin star restaurant, but he does have Momofuku Ko, which is a two star restaurant and talks about that, like his feeling finding out that they got two stars. So. I'll just read this part. He says, The cooks were cleaning up at the end of the night when I ducked into a spacious broom closet, took a seat on an overturned bucket, and caught up on emails. I scrolled to a message from Ben Leventhal, the co-founder of Eater. Dude, you got two, he wrote. What are you talking about? Michelin. I saw an early copy. Congratulations, sir. Co was among the seven restaurants in the city that had earned two stars. Only four establishments, Per Se, Massa, Jean-Georges, and Le Bernardin had received the full three. I stayed seated in the closet for another few minutes, not quite sure how to describe the feeling in my stomach. Looking back, I know what it was. Dread. That's the end of the highlight. And one thing just to notice here is trying to sneak away to quiet places in the kitchen. Here he takes a broom closet with a bucket. Of course, uh, we see Carmi in the walk-in in season two. And yeah, there's just seems to be like quiet places often bring up dread as well. Then further on, David Chang writes about wanting, whether he wants a third star or not. He says, so do I want a third star? Absolutely. Do I want my team to feel the elation of reaching the very top of the food world? Of course I do. I also fear it. I fear the inevitable fall from the top. More than that, I fear what it means for people to think they've reached the pinnacle of their profession. What happens to a cook's motivation when the job becomes about maintenance and not improvement? With a third star, you do everything you can to avoid disturbing the delicate balance you've created. No grind, no friction. You're trapped by your own self-confidence, scared to abandon what you know already works. That's the end of the highlight. And it just goes to show there's like the good things and bad things. And then it is that idea of people wish for that third star and you want to be careful what you wish for. But I'm sure anyone going for that, like, yeah, they do want that third star. And that is kind of like the goal of that, that Carmi has in mind for the bear. In any case, great show, great book, three stars to both of them. And thanks for checking this out.